if you are a parent or not, you might be aware, either way, that uh, tomorrow is, is Halloween, and, uh, and lots of our young people get excited about this. And uh, I always thought it was interesting that people uh, choose to, to, like, dress up. I, w- I always wanted to be, I don't know, something cool, but I was never drawn to, like, be the scariest thing. That was just not my, not my wiring, and I know that's, like, a really, really big thing. Um, Halloween, right? You want to, like, go as, as something that's, that's really scary. So I was never wired like that, but I see it a lot. Um, and I, I have a fun tradition where I make all this apple cider and sit out at a fire in front of our house so I get to meet our neighbors and have a good time and stuff. But, uh, but I was just thinking this week that, like, what would happen if, as we grew older, um, you know, kids like to go as scary things, but, but adults, we change a lot as we get older. But what if, what if we did that as adults? Like, what, what would you go as? In, uh, as an adult, if you were going door to door as, as the thing that like scared you, like this year I'm going as out of control inflation. Um, or uh, I don't know, I'm, I, this year I decided I'd like to go as low job security. That'd be, you know, that's me. Or I'm going as the conversation that I'd rather not have with someone. Right? Like what are the things that you fear that if you were going to go uh, out for, for Halloween, um, you know, this, yeah, this, this year I'm going to go as a mother that struggles to meet unrealistic expectations. Right? Like, what would it be? Um, the, the, things that, the things that we fear as we get older uh, often shift a little from the things that we think are scary as kids. Uh, and and uh, so I, I want us to, to just kind of start with that little jumping off point uh, to, to our conversations. And, and the things that we fear are often um, are often hard to quantify because it has more to do with the thoughts in our heads than the realities of our lives sometimes. Uh, there's a Swedish proverb that, uh, that says, um, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. Uh, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. The, uh, the power of our thoughts are profound on our lives. The things that we think about and the amount of time that we spend thinking about them, uh, they'll change everything. Changes how you feel throughout the day. Changes what your capacity is to be able to do or not to do. Um, changes how you interact with people. And so, so when we talk about this and when we talk about the words of Jesus here in a moment, I want us to keep in mind uh, how much the power of our thoughts have an impact in how we go about life in every, every day experiences. Uh, we're, we're kind of working through just some passages, not really methodically, but just taking a look um, at some passages in the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus, and we're, we're talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment. One of Matthew's main goals is to help us understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of two things, not just the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes and the people of God, the one who was, was actually able to fulfill the covenant and therefore make a new covenant. That's one of the biblical themes of Jesus being the fulfillment, the one who was to come. But Jesus then also fulfills our idea of what God is in fullness. Jesus offers the fulfillment of the gaps that people had had about the nature and character of God up until that point. So when we hear Jesus' teachings about what matters, about the kingdom, all of this, it's all a part of how Jesus is the fulfillment. He fulfills our understanding of how to live, and he fulfills 
all of the character and the goodness of God. He fulfills the, the requirements from the law, from the, uh, from the old covenant for salvation and rescue and faithfulness, and we find ourselves in all of that. But it's so big, so good. So that's how we get to a passage like we have in, uh, in the book of Matthew here, in Matthew uh, 6. So in Matthew 6, Jesus uh, is talking, and there we go. We'll just, yeah, Adam, thanks. And here's what he says, and this is verses 25 to 34. Jesus teaching, and he says, we'll talk about why he says therefore, because you can't, with integrity, you can't just start a, a teaching passage with a therefore, right? Like, that's not cool. That's not good Bible scholarship, to start with therefore, and then just move on, and not, well, what, what, what happened before there? Uh, so we got to figure that out in a second. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus is saying, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these, one of the great kings. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, which is all of um, those who are not people of God, all, all, all those who are not God followers, the pagans run after these things, after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, can we just hold on to that last sentence and hear the fact that the, uh, the, the, the Savior of the world just admitted that each day has trouble? Like, isn't that strangely validating? Just the acknowledgement there that Jesus gives at the end of something that can feel unrealistic, <laughs> a teaching and a challenge, that Jesus acknowledges each day, yo, each, I know each day is going to have trouble. Sometimes we, we disconnect the fact that God actually understands that life has trouble. That Jesus tells his disciples in this world, you're going to have trouble. That he acknowledges it. So, so Jesus is just not, not simply teaching us what to do in a passage like this, but truly how to think about reality. And in some traditions, this is a very overlooked element of Christianity. How we think about the world around us and about, about reality. It's very much about either believing something happened, which has its place, or believing what we're supposed to do, which has its place. But thinking in new ways about reality, about the world, about ourselves, about what's true and real, this is something that we have to dive into. So he gives these two examples, and he gives an example of birds and an example of flowers. When he says, he talks about worry, and he says, listen, we've got these two, I'm going to give these two examples. Number one, birds, they fly around and God gives them enough to eat, and you're more valuable than they are. And then he says, flowers, Flowers, you know, come each season, and then they're gone, and yet they're beautiful. And so, think about that. When you're thinking about, am I going to have enough clothes to wear? Even the flowers, here today, gone tomorrow, 
They have all these colors and beauty. And, and that's all well and good, and it can be very reassuring, reassuring. Except sometimes we can read a passage like that, and we get this low-level hum in the back. Um, what's it called again, Adam? 60-cycle 60, 60 hum in, in the world of monitors. I like to think of it as someone left a bathroom fan on. Because in our house, we have a bathroom upstairs, and you know you got the light switch, and you got the fan switch. And that fan switch is always on. And so we're trying to like read in the, in the, in the living room. And, and there's this, and you can't pick it up right away, but there's something that's stopping you from having total peace. You feel me? And there's something until it gets turned off, until it gets addressed, you can't breathe out. And, and let me tell you, when I read this passage, there's a low-level hum. There's a low-level hum hearing the words of Jesus say something like, don't worry about what you're going to eat because God provides enough food for the for the birds, and, and we know something. And that is that we know that people die of hunger in our world. And, and people don't have enough to meet their basic needs in the world sometimes. And their lives fall apart. And, and so what do we do with that when Jesus says something like this? And we just want to say, well, there it is. That settles it. See, we can do a couple things. Number one, we can say that Jesus isn't being truthful with us. I don't I've crossed that bridge a long time ago. So I believe that Jesus is the apex of a truth speaker in every single way. So then we can say, well, maybe those people, they, they haven't had enough faith. They're, you know, they haven't trusted God enough. And if they did, then God would have provided for their needs. Um, like, we're getting serious here, right? <laughs> um, and and uh, I, if you've lived long enough and rubbed shoulders with enough Christians and, and God lovers of different types, you're going to find that there's really faithful people that love God that still don't have enough sometimes. I've met them. I've spent time with them. Some of them are right around us, but also they're all across our world. So, so what do we do if that's the case? Do we just throw out the words of Jesus, or do we just accept them without talking about the low-level hum that's in the back, or do we find a way to actually address it? Um, I think we need to do something with it. And, and so I think we need to dig a little deeper, right? God provides for the birds and the clothes, God provides for um, food for the birds and clothes for the flowers. But, but here's the thing. Here's what we have to ask about Jesus. Like, birds get eaten by snakes and hawks, right? And flowers get stepped on. Was Jesus unaware of this? We have to ask ourselves, was Jesus unaware that birds sometimes get picked off? I love birds. Now, I like, I like birds of prey and little birds, but I like to take pictures of birds. It's been one of the ways that God speaks peace to me is with my binoculars and my, and my camera. Um, and, and I have a lot of feeders. I have seven feeders up around our yard. And... Uh, and what that means is that we get a chance to see a lot of beautiful birds. You know what else it means? Some of them get picked off sometimes because I'm, like, creating a table, a, a, a table in front of their enemies for them or something like that. If we're going to use Psalm 23 language, maybe not the right response that they're hoping for. But, but we see these, these things happen. So what, what do we do with the fact that birds do get eaten, even though Jesus uses and says, you know, they'll, he'll provide for their needs, but sometimes... Crisis hits, and, and the flowers, look how beautiful they are, but sometimes right after a flower blooms on our trail behind our house, I'm trying to clean it off with weed whacking the, the grassy area, and I clip the bottom of a stem, and I chop it off before it even has a chance to go through its life cycle. 
It happens. It happens. So what, what do we do? I don't think Jesus was unaware of these things. But I think what's so fascinating, if we go back to the first, the first slide in this passage, is that right off the bat, I think what's so fascinating is that he says that the birds don't worry about these things. They don't spend their time constantly evaluating the potential problems that they might face. So there's an element here, um, but humans, we're the only ones that constantly play through worst-case scenarios in our heads. We're the only ones that constantly uh, pre-live our worst memories. I was thinking about that. I kind of made that word up. I'm not sure if it's... But, but I'm, I'm, we're going to roll with it. Yeah. Yes, I believe that worry, as I've been thinking about it, is being distracted constantly by pre-living bad memories. Okay? So we're constantly pre-living the worst things that might happen. And this is what sets us apart from the flowers of the field, and it sets us apart from the birds of the air. And so, so what happens is it accomplishes nothing, but it pulls a massive amount of emotional and physical resources from us in our lives. So when Jesus is giving specific examples here, maybe the root of everything that he's saying is an even deeper truth than simply talking about having enough food or having enough clothing. This is why the end of verse 25 is so crucial. Let's go back to that. Yeah, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? This is a crucial element of what Jesus is saying. That's our key. While provision is part of this passage, absolutely, the bigger theme Jesus is up to here is an awareness of what life actually is about. And Jesus moves us in this direction of saying, life is actually about experiencing the presence of God and God's kingdom and how that awareness changes how we experience reality. That awareness, there's, there's provision that's spoken of, but there is a deeper trust that's a part of what Jesus is saying. There's trust. It's interesting, the word, the word used by Matthew there in... Um, in that verse for, that's translated as worry or some, some translations uh, as, as be anxious, don't be anxious, it's, it's the Greek word marim now, and it, combine, it combines two words. The first word that it combines means to divide, okay, marizo, and the second word now means mind. So, so to, to talk about worry is to say that you have a, a mind that is divided, okay? You're pulled in two directions, which is really, really interesting, you're constantly pulled in this direction of, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, the power of our thoughts. So our thoughts are, are pulled in between maybe the current moment and maybe the future that hasn't happened yet. Or maybe an awareness of God or maybe a constant fear of not having or being enough. Either way, whatever the pull is, your mind is pulled in multiple directions. That what, that's what worry is. You're not complete. You're not fully there. You're being ripped apart in two ways. And so Jesus is saying, when, when, when you let these thoughts, these pre-living bad memories <laughs> take over, then you're constantly being pulled away, pulled apart from what I've designed you for, which I believe is to live in the present moment with an awareness of the presence of God. Our trust gets divided. So, so I think it's really interesting, and specifically how that ends up working out is often that our trust is divided in either God's goodness on the one hand or our situations working out on the other hand. Our situation's working out. Um, so we can ask the question, say, well, what if, what if those bad things happen? You know, like you're talking about wasting energy, but what if, what if they actually happen? I think Romans 8 is super important and helpful here. And Paul is talking about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
Who shall separate us? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, he's talking to fellow um, sisters and brothers that are facing hardship and being um, persecuted against. For your sake, we're facing death all day long. Like, this is, this is intense, serious stuff. No, in all these things, in these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he says this famous passage. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's an incredible statement. But do you want to know what it starts with? Don't miss it. Up in that first sentence, he literally names the two things Jesus talks about. Famine and nakedness. Not having enough food, not having enough clothes. And he says, this is the reality some of us are facing. And God's goodness is still available. So we can at least presume that the early church, okay, that the early church didn't think that Jesus' teaching and words here meant that they would always have enough stuff and that that was the end goal of this teaching. Because Paul acknowledges, I know some of you, I know some of you have been stripped down and have nothing left. I know some of you, as you've been trying to follow God or as people have been mistreating you, have wound up experiencing famine, or not enough in all of these different ways. Look at all of the not enoughness. Like that happens. And then he says, but by the way, here's what we also know because we know Christ. That doesn't disqualify us from the presence of God. It doesn't separate us from the love of God. These things happen, but they're not what life consists of. And there's beautiful power in something like that. Yes, I believe the early church, and I believe that we can absolutely believe that God will provide. But when that doesn't happen in the expected ways in our lives, then there's something even deeper about that and about what life is really about, so we need not despair. Going back to Jesus' uh, specific words about, about worry and reflecting on the word itself, I think it's interesting and helpful to be reminded that the root of worry in our lives is usually, and, and that divided mind idea, the, the root of worry is often separation. Like that's what the, the base foundation of the, what we worry about. We worry about being, being separated and pulled apart from what we need. Whether that's relationships, whether that's security in our finances or our life situation. And the worry is that we're going to lose and we're going to be separated from something that we believe that we need. And I think it's really, really fascinating because separation from what we need is the opposite of the promise that we see from God and the essence of God in Christ, God who is with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, over and over again. The essence of God is connection and security. Do not fear for I will be with you. Over and over, connection and security is the promise of God. And worry is a constant awareness of what we might be lacking and where we might be disconnected. Um, so, so it moves our minds, right, in these opposite directions. So he's teaching us to be reminded of the connection of God and the presence of God in the midst of potential troubles, and that moves our mind back to oneness and away from the power of, of worry. And when he says each day will have enough trouble of its own, he's challenging us not to pre-live our worst-case scenarios because even if those worst-case scenarios do come true, God's provision and presence in a supernatural way, will still be available in the midst of it. 
still be available. So what we trust God for is not the physical rescue of all of our troubles, um, but a deeper peace and presence that the world can never provide, nor even the perfect situation could provide. And no situation then can rob us of that presence. Now, I mentioned the, the therefore, right? It's really interesting that as we look at this passage that Jesus is following this or, or preceding this teaching by talking, um, and, and when he asks like about the, the birds storing up, he's just been talking about how you can't serve God and money. You can't serve two masters, okay? So he said, don't serve God and money. You can live to hoard stuff, but, but I'm saying don't store up treasures on earth because they won't last but live the way of the kingdom and that'll store up these treasures in heaven that Jesus, Jesus speaks about. So then he says the, boor, the birds don't store up. <laughs> um, so, so there's this element of serving our worry. Again, the separation, one or the other, of constantly serving and letting this be our master. The master of, is everything going to be okay? That's our master. That's what we serve constantly. Is everything going to be okay? Is everything going to be okay? And that's what, that's what my allegiance is to in my life. Always making the decision to make sure everything's going to be okay even though we don't have power over that most of the time, instead of learning to trust Jesus. And, and then how do we deal, in many ways, with that question of, is everything going to be okay? We deal with that by hoarding, right? In every chance that we can, hoarding stuff, because we're so scared not to have enough. And when we're scared not to have enough, and so we hoard, that leads to what? On the bigger scale. Others not having enough, <laughs> right? Like our need to be so secure that we constantly accumulate more and more leads to there being less available for other people. And so, so we get this, this cycle. Remember the toilet paper shortage? Like let's, let's do a lighthearted one so that we feel less guilty. Remember the toilet paper shortage, right? There's not enough, so go out and get all that you can. Like think about how messed up that is. There's not enough, there, there might not be enough toilet paper for everyone on your street, so go to the store and buy all of it for you. <laughs> and then there's not enough to go around. So, so when we talk about trust and living this way, there is a physical element of it that speaks to the relationship with others in our world and what worry sometimes does. Um, Everyone's worried we're not going to have enough, which leads to not having enough. We do this beyond material stuff too, friends. Um, our worry causes us to store up relational and emotional resources that could be shared with others because we're afraid to be hurt again. So we hoard the things that we could give others as a gift from, from who we are because we're just afraid that there might not be enough resources left for us. And, and granted... Self-care matters, obviously, so much. But sometimes we can hold back in ways that would make our world more beautiful and more good um, because we're just so afraid to share ourselves. Uh, the kingdom of God is a radical alternative to this way of thinking and this way of being, and it takes root in the deep trust that we have been set free by the grace and the salvation of God, period. So we can live with a lightness of heart, hearing the words of Jesus and knowing that we have been given this gift of life with God forever and God's presence now, which speaks to an element of carefreeness in the kingdom of God. That almost sounds irresponsible, doesn't it, to use a word like that when there's so much pain in our world? 
to talk about being carefree in God's kingdom. Um, but there's truth to it. Like, we can trust that it's okay even when it's not okay. Because God is with us. It's okay even when it's not okay. So it's one of the gifts that God longs for us to receive. So instead of saying, well, that just sounds irresponsible, that we could possibly live carefree in a life where there's so much hurt, so many problems. It's true. It, it does sound irresponsible. But that's what gifts often feel like. Gifts often feel like, well, I can't receive this from you. And God says, I want you to receive it. It'll actually help you live better. It'll, have, it'll help you love better in the world around you anyways. Um, God's big enough for all of this. Now, just one important caveat here, and that is that um, initial worry is almost always rooted in care. So we, we should acknowledge that. So Because just denying that I'm worried at all, right, that's not Christ-like to, to not acknowledge. This is a human emotion. When we get concerned about things, our human emotion is that our heart is going to, you know, speed up a little bit and we're going we're gonna to dwell on stuff, stuff like that. So, so denial is not a Christ-like way in any stretch. So we don't just claim something and then ignore the reality. What we do is we decide what choices am I going to make when I find myself dwelling on these pre-living worst-case scenarios, pre-living bad memories before they occur. What am I going to do with that? So wh- whenever we can, we obviously we act in responsible ways. If I have a toddler and I'm worried that on their tricycle, they're going to leave the driveway and go out into the street, I can move my car in front of the driveway so that there's no way out and keep it parked there, right? Or we can put a rope or cones up. That's one way to deal with a worry. But then at some point, at some point, you have to say, I've done what I can, and I'm going to release, right? And so, so there's a time to act responsibly and in loving ways within our control. And then there's a time to say, I'm going to move toward trust instead of recycling my fear and dwelling on it over and over again. Um, so if, if lives of trust are the antidote to worry, it looks maybe like um, practicing um, two ways. One is uh, contentment in the present. Contentment in the present is one way to live with an antidote to worry. And, and the second way is to live in hope for the future. I find it interesting that when the future is yet unknown, our tendency is to go to worst case scenario instead of best case scenario. But let's talk about these two things real quick. Um, Paul in Philippians 4 like, Paul is just a great case study because he suffered so much. But he has, there's this famous passage in Philippians 4 that ends with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is, like, used to, like, like motivate you to, like, keep shooting basketball hoops until you make 10 in a row. Uh, but, but in reality, what that passage is, is about Paul talking about how he's learned the secret to contentment in the midst of all sorts of hardship. Whether well-fed or hungry, he uses that one again. Um, whether in chains or free. He says, I have learned the, the, the secret to being content in any and every situation. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the fact that Jesus is with me and therefore I can live in contentment in every one of these moments in the present because, I mean, Paul even goes so far as to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain, which to us sounds like bad grammar. Uh, but, but this idea of when I live, I am communing with Christ and serving him and what could be better? And when I die, I am in oneness with Christ 
in fullness of every way, and so it's even better. <laughs> but both is, both is a win because of the gift of God. So, so there's this gift of contentment that we can practice in the present of becoming aware, and then hope in the future. And the, the hope in the future is just, I, I think, again, um, there's so much that we often miss out by not being able to look forward with hope. Uh, the Advent season is coming. Ben, ben gave us a little pre, preview of, of an, a classic Advent song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And the, the season of Advent leading up to Christmas is when we wait with hope for the redemption of the world. And we tell the story again and again because you have to tell stories enough times for them to seep into your bones. So we tell the story every year, every year about the promise of God and then about Jesus coming to fulfill that promise. And so we do that, and and Advent is a time of waiting and anticipating with hope. And hope is really hard to come by, and so we've decided that that is our focus for this year, is learning to practice hope. Because so often we look around and just feel hopeless inside of us in our world. So um, if you've been around for a while, you know that one of the cool things that we do as a church together during Advent is that we, uh, we put together a booklet that has a reading for each day of Advent written by all of you. <laughs> so today we're unveiling that, and I put it into the message so it didn't sound like an announcement. Um, so in the back, there's a little half sheet that talks about Jesus, uh, about Advent being about hope. And there's ways that you can, two to three hundred words, over the next two weeks, I think, we need two and a half weeks maybe to get submissions so that we're ready to go before Thanksgiving and can hand a booklet to each of you. And so there's, it's simple. You can write a reflection on a passage that's about hope. You can write a story of a time where you experienced hope in the midst of a struggle. You can share a poem or an art piece that you created. Uh, or you can just, if you're like, I don't have some super spiritual story, just share a story that you've experienced where hope impacted you in some way. And we'll link it up with a, with a passage that can remind us and point us to Jesus in the midst of it. So, so anything like that. So um, Melanie's going to hit that again. I don't think we talked that I was going to mention it in the message, so you've got an easier announcement now, Mel. Uh, but but uh, we'll give you a little sheet at the end of today. But we learn how to hope for the future in the midst of um, a world where often we just do the opposite. We despair for the future. And we learn to be people who in Christ have a different outlook on the world. Um, so those are kind of broad though, like, hey, learn contentment in the present. Go ahead and practice that. Like, it's not very practical at all. So I'm going to give you, um, a couple of practical tools, and I think I put them up on the screen. So the first one, practical tools to keep moving, is first find a way to take note of God's presence, past and current, instead of pre-living with worry, right? So take a moment and note, uh, I was talking with Sabrina, and she has like a fingerprints journal where she, she makes notes of, of where she sees the fingerprint of God. And when she's going through difficult times, she opens that and just makes, and, and, and reads back down. And she's like, oh yeah, wow. It's only three days ago that I really noticed God. And now today I'm like, where on earth? You know, like, oh, it wasn't even that long, enough, long ago before I... I was just fully able to see it, and today I'm just having trouble, and so I need to make notes of where is the presence of God being made known around me. Where in the past have you noticed that God did provide what was needed, emotionally, physically, whatever? Um, Where have you seen the fingerprints of God? Make note of them in a very real, physical way. Share them with other people that's trusted. Say, hey, I wanted to just identify. This is what we do at StorySpace. We're trying to make note of God's presence. So find ways to actually get those things spoken or, or written 
in a way that you can actually reflect back on them and be remembering during difficult times of, of trust. The second um, tool is to actually go ahead and name the worst and then move through it. So sometimes all we do is we just cycle through, well, what if, what if, what if? So go ahead and play out the scenario. What if the worst thing that you keep worrying about, what if it does happen? Where would God meet you? What, what in the midst of all of that, is hope fully, truly gone in every single way? Or can you imagine a scenario where the worst happens and still somehow God carries you through it? So go ahead and name the worst, but don't let that be the end of the story. Um, oh, can you go to the picture and then we'll go back to the third? You guys know the movie Happy Feet 2? Um, do you, have you ever seen the movie Happy Feet 2 with Bill and Will Krill? It's, so, so Happy Feet 2 is obviously not a blockbuster, um, but, but in Happy Feet 2, there's this little backstory, totally side, affects the, it affects the story in no way, but it's Matt Damon and Brad Pitt that play Bill and Will Krill, and they have these conversations constantly about the reality of life, and, and, and one of them wants to break out from the swarm, right? And so Bill, Bill says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be free. And or Will, Will says that, and Bill says, there's no such thing as free, Will. And they have these, all these conversations, and they're having all this fun together. But when, but when one of them leaves, he looks, the, the one who stays in the swarm, when the other one leaves, and he's actually, he's going to get eaten by Barracuda a couple seconds later. But, but he leaves, and, and the one that stays behind says, I fear the worst, Bill. And the other guy says, I fear the worst too, Will, because fearing the best is a complete waste of time. And it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. I fear the worst. I fear the worst too, Bill, because fearing the best is a complete waste of time. And let's sit with that just a little bit. Like we don't know what the future is going to hold. So we fear the worst because fearing the best makes no sense. So maybe we need to stop wasting our time on fearing the worst and actually start imagining the best, which is the final little piece here. Imagine with hope. So find ways to look at the future in the midst of your worry and say, well, what if that doesn't happen? Let me imagine some beauty that I think might be around the corner. Because here's the thing that happens, and you know this if you stub your toe at the beginning of your day. If you expect bad things to happen, sometimes you live right into them. If you expect it's going to be a hard day at work, sometimes you're kind of a jerk to your coworker, and it becomes a real bad day at work, Right? If you expect good things are going to happen, you're often better to people. And this is not just some self-help jargon, although there's probably some of that in there. But I mean, if you smile and talk to somebody at the checkout counter, do you know how much that changes both of your days? And some of us love doing that, and some of you are like, yeah, that's not my gig. That's fine. Find your own gig. You don't have to be chatty at the checkout and drive the people behind you crazy. But let's learn to imagine the future with hope instead of only pre-live the worst. One final encouragement, and then we're going to have a couple minutes for Catchbox. Um, though today is largely about learning to embrace and trust God's goodness in our lives, there's a secondary lens that we can look at this whole passage through, and I'm only going to say about 30 seconds about it. And the secondary lens is this. We have to ask, in the midst of Jesus' teaching about God's provision, how can we be agents of God's healing and provision as the body of Christ in the world? And so here, here's what I mean by that. We have been given the authority as God's people, to represent Jesus and his kingdom faithfully. So we literally, in some ways, become the body of Christ, the hands and feet of God 
and of Jesus who are, to those who are experiencing lack in order to love them and to remind them that the nature of God is provision and care and dignity for every human. So we're God's ambassadors on this earth. So, so when we see these passages of God promising and Jesus saying, I will take care of you, and we see people who aren't being taken care of as God's agents of reconciliation, we become God's provision in others' lives. And if you've lived in any healthy church culture for any number of years, you probably have a time where you said, God met my need through the body of Christ. Well, God came and brought provision. And what you really mean is that other people had an ear to the Spirit and were stirred by God and then responded, and that was how God met your need. So we have a responsibility here too in the world to be people of, who, who example God's provision to others. So yes, uh, in our own lives, we learn deeper trust and peace. And in the lives of those around us, as far as it depends on us, we learn to practice God's compassion. Oh, wow. Thanks. You guys think I'm just coming up with this stuff just off the cuff. I've written this stuff down. Um, I forgot I put that on a slide. That's great. Uh, so so it's, it's this both and in our lives. So in a few minutes, you know, um, when we share in communion, it's a practice of both of those things. It's a reminder that God provides, but it's also a reminder that Jesus is in you providing his spirit so that you can keep loving the world around you. So we come in trust to the table even, and then we leave the table filled with Christ so that we can live lives set free of some of the powers that condemn us, the power of death, the power of sin, the power of worry, and all the things that limit us. So let's uh, just come before Jesus for a moment, and then we'll have a few minutes for some catch box space. Lord, we simply want to acknowledge the complication of real life, God. That it's great to talk about some of this stuff, but sometimes we feel like we don't have the power over our minds, and they just cycle anyways. So we ask for your grace in the midst of this. We ask that as we walk toward trust, that there would be no guilt, that you would remind us of your grace when we fail at this, but that you would also empower us to live lives of deeper trust, Lord. Uh, we need your help for this. This isn't the kind of thing that you just walk away and say, okay, my cycles will stop now because I've decided it. So, Lord, we trust you in these moments, and we pray that you speak and bring to the surface what needs to be brought to the surface. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.